Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time it is that you inky savages are joining me for episode number 116 of the Penboy Roy Pentertainment Podcast. I'm excited to be here as I usually am, and I'm glad that you guys are listening, and thank you for tuning in. I just got back from Puerto Rico. We stayed over at the St. Regis. It was fantastic. I wish I could stay there forever, but I can't because I have to function in the real world. And got to make a living. Speaking of livings, I got to talk about sponsors. This week's sponsors obviously are the same as they always are, but we got some news to discuss. We got ourselves Gold Spot Pens. Great sponsors, great friends of ours. I'm actually going to meet up with them for dinner next week. We're going to go to a nice restaurant. The owners, Karen and Sal, they're really cool people. I wish they were more public and stuff because they're fun people to listen to and talk to, especially especially all the pen knowledge they have and whatnot. But goldspot.com, visit goldspot.com, and more importantly, use the affiliate link that I have included in the description of the show notes to visit goldspot.com because by doing so, you actually support all forms of pentertainment entertainment and the Penboy Boy Pentertainment podcast and whatnot. So please visit goldspot.com through the affiliate link provided below and make sure to use coupon code ROY to score yourself additional savings on most of the products on the Goldspot website. So it's kind of like a double whammy, right? You're going through my affiliate link and you're using coupon code ROY. It's like you guys are being awesome. And I do want to thank you guys for taking advantage of that affiliate link and discount code and make sure that you guys you guys are plugging into the the description or the comment section of the order. Something to do with hashtag fire Tom. So Tom can include a sticker for you. And it also is funny for the people working at Gold Spot, especially in the beginning when they're like, what the hell's going on here? Why is everybody so mad at Tom? So check this out. Some cool stuff. The new limited edition, and this is for the next sponsorship. This is actually the next sponsorship read. I'm super excited about it because y'all know how much I love Waldman and how awesome Waldman is. It's like a sterling silver pen, very competitive pricing. So Bryce sent me this information on a new Waldman Tango that's coming out. The new limited edition Waldman Tango Imagination Dark Teal is coming soon. This is the very first exclusive pen to North America that Waldman has ever produced. And boy, it is a gorgeous pen. Each pen will be individually numbered out of 200 pieces. They will be available in rollerball, who cares, stainless steel and 18 karat gold versions of the fountain pen. And by the way, the Tango Imagination and quite a few pens from Waldman and other brands that luxury brands carries were nominated for categories in the Pen World Magazine's Reader's Choice Awards. So I saw that on Instagram earlier and I thought it was really cool. So it included brands like Platinum and their Izumo, which is really cool. It's like a checkered looking Izumo with all kinds of Arushi lacquering where a guy sits there and lacquers it for like a billion years and he went to school for like a thousand years. He went to like some after school program after his school and then after the after school went to another after school for after after school. It was amazing. So the guy goes through all this education and he goes through all this training and he learns how to lacquer a pen and then it turns into the Platinum Zumo. It's amazing. So if you are a subscriber to Pen World Magazine, go and vote for our friends brands at Luxury Brands of America. So there you go. I have to look into the Pen World Magazine so I can vote. Hmm. 
I should look into that magazine. I can't believe I don't have a subscription to that magazine. I hope they have a digital version. Because my mailbox is too small, and then what happens is when magazines come, they jam it in, and it like rips the edges and slices the pages in half. I don't think they really care about the magazine conditions when they deliver the magazines. But whatever. Anyway, figure it out. Penworld Magazine, go and vote for luxury brands, products, platinum. They're deserving. And again, keep your eye out for the imagination, the Waldman Tango imagination. I mean, it is a very cool pen. You won't know what I'm talking about until you hold it in your hand and you look at it. It is absolutely gorgeous. And it's got a really cool name. Dark Teal. Anyway, I thought it's cool. And also, don't forget about my friend, Neil. My friend Neil is the owner of brlcoffeeco.com. So, beans, rhymes, life, coffeeco.com. brlcoffeeco.com. Please check out brlcoffeeco.com. Buy your coffee from there. They got full beans that you can grind yourself, or they got pre-ground beans that you can not grind. You can just throw it into your coffee maker and... Let the coffee maker do all the work. It's fine with me too. But fantastic coffee. My personal favorite is Kiss of Life. And it's a blonder roast, which means it's higher in caffeine. But it doesn't give you the crackhead jitters. So I think it's fantastic. Very good tasting coffee. Love it. BRLCoffeeCo.com. Please make sure you check them out. And use coupon code ROY at checkout for an additional 10% off all products on the BRL Coffee Co. website. Again, BRLCoffeeCo.com. Please check it out and use coupon code ROY. So before we get started with this week's episode of the podcast, which I'm really excited about because we have our good friend, J.J. Lax on. And this time we actually talk about J.J. Lax instead of drama going around in the pen world. And I'm really excited about it because he's a very interesting fella. But before we get started, I want to give you guys a quick disclaimer. This podcast is not scripted and therefore will contain potty mouth words, both from Tom and I, mostly from me. So be forewarned, you have been warned. Now, on to the podcast. The Pet Boy Roy Entertainment Podcast. So I was like all discombobulated because as you guys know, I just got back from Puerto Rico. Man, I was thinking to myself, and as much as I love you guys... As much as I love my life now, I wanted to stay there forever. And if it meant never seeing my friends and family again, I would I would have done it. But that's not realistic. I'm just kidding. That's not that's not nice. <laughs> but I'm ex- no. But I was really looking forward to this week's episode of the Pentertainment Podcast, episode number one hundred and sixteen. Not just because I love recording all these episodes, but we also have our guest again. We have JJ Lax, Joshua Lax on. We had him on what a couple up? of episodes. We had him on a couple episodes ago, but we got so caught up in the whole Twizzy being a jerk episode that we didn't get to talk enough about nib grinding and nib tuning. And this is what JJ Lacks in the Fountain Pen community is known for. He has a company called the JJ Lacks Pen Company, right? Am I getting that right? You got it right. I'm so good. I'm so good at this. I got good words. JJ JJ Lax Pen Company, and what he specializes in is specialty grinds. And I always want to talk to someone who's really good at this shit because the truth is the extent of my knowledge, and I don't know about Tom. Tom might have more extensive knowledge in this, is is just watching a few YouTube – he's shaking his head no at me. It's just watching a couple of YouTube videos, grabbing some micro mesh and mylar paper and rubbing it out. 
right? So that's as good <laughs> as I know how to do nib tuning. And for me, I always want to talk to a nib grinder because I want to know how does it how do you go from not being a nib tuner to being a professional nib tuner? What is that process like? What happens in between having no experience and having enough experience to finally say, hey, give me your pen, I'll work on it? How many nibs have you screwed up? How many pens have you screwed up? Like, what is that process and development like for someone who has never grinded a nib before to becoming a professional nib grinder? So uh, there's a lot of questions in there, and I'll do my best to answer them, but interrupt me if I'm, if I'm going too down the rabbit hole. I also say uh, in the world of double entendres, we're going to be talking a lot about tips today, and so uh, we'll have to control ourselves. <laughs> anyway, uh, that being said, let's launch off into the, the epic journey that, that is my, my, my nib work. So it's interesting the idea the way you're asking it, right? Like uh, going from, you know, having no experience to being an expert. And I guess the first thing I'd say to somebody who, who is uh, thinking about trying to take that journey is you got to really kind of want it in a in a obsessive way, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's it's an art, it's a it's an artisanal task and you got to you know to do it right and to do right especially when you're doing it for other people. Um you got to really want it and you got to be obsessed with it because you know like I I remember years ago when I started practicing this stuff like I would think like ah I got to what is the solution? There's a solution to this problem and I've got to find it, you know, and that's sort of like, I think what can separate, you know, sort of people who are just trying something out for someone who's like developing into an expert. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so that, you know, it's sort of the psychological part of the path is, you know, you want it, you got to want it, but you also got to be like obsessed with wanting to get it just right. Because, you know, I don't know how other people view it. I, you know, for me, it's like a, a, labor of love. So like, I want things to be perfect and I want people to walk away with something that like, they're not, they're not going to regret, you know, and that I do everything I can to make sure that happens. Mm -hmm. Now on like the technical level, you know, it's a lot of learning about sort of the geometry and physics of what is a nib. And I'll put out there this idea that, and I sort of reacted to when you were talking a little bit before Roy about nibs and things. So I, I think that the, you know, anyone can grind a nib. It's whether someone can fix a nib that really sets people apart because that is really where you gotta think about what is happening at this very small object and come up with a solution. And Could, so do you mind if I just yeah. stop you real quick? So yeah, yeah, you, please, you a, please. You made a statement that's very interesting. You said anybody can grind a nib. What does that mean to you? Right? So like for me, yeah. that means like if you gave me like what does it mean to grind a nib? Let's define that first. Sure. So it, you know, at its most basic, right, is you are taking the tipping uh, you're taking the nib and you're how whatever type of nib it is, and you're basically approaching some sort of abrasive. You know, you could do it on sandpaper, different sandpapers, Arkansas stones was where I tried this out for the first time. Or you could do something that's like a machine, like a rotary tool or a bench lathe or something like that. And we can get into the different approaches to actually how people grind nibs and 
which can be a whole interesting topic. Okay, so basically, on how far down the road? Yeah. So basically, but going back, let me. Yeah. To you, grinding nib can be as basic as using a piece of mylar paper or micro mesh. Yeah. So because what you're doing right is you're changing the shape of the tipping, right? And so, like, take the very, the always popular cursive italic, right? If you're going to go from, let's say you have a broad Joe nib and you want to take it from a broad Joe nib to be a broad cursive italic, at least for the way I was trained to do it, uh, we're talking that you're taking off the bottom, uh, meaning, like, if you think of the nib, right, like the underside of the tipping, you're, you're basically sanding that away. You're sanding an angle into the front of it, and then you're sanding away the top of it, and then you may be doing some other uh, touch-ups to, to smooth it out. But basically, anyone can do that, right? Anyone can take a, 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 a nib, approach it to some sort of abrasive, whatever that is, and grind angles into it. But the next step, which is really where you get into the expertise, is how to finish it. And that sort of walks hand in hand with what I was saying before, which is how do you tune and adjust or fix, you know, whatever, however you want to put it, uh, how you do that. And because that's really what it is, you know, you're getting it ready for writing, essentially. Right. Is there, let me ask you something. You said tune and adjust and fix. Are those all tune, adjusting and fixing mean all the same thing to you? Uh, I mean, in practice, probably yes. I mean, people have different you know, different uh, ways of, you know, I guess a fix would be the most extreme. Adjust and tune would be, you know, you're, you're not fixing a problem, just making it better, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Okay. But, I mean, I look at anything that's interrupting someone's writing experience as a problem to be fixed. So for me, it's the same. I see. Okay. That's cool. That That's, that's a very interesting way of looking at it. So... Going back, you mentioned that the way you were trained. What is yeah. your training? Like, who trained you? How did you get training? Where did you, like? There's no school for nib grinding, right? Like, no. What was your no? Process? Not yet. Maybe one day. One day we'll have an academy. Okay. Uh, like Hogwarts, you know. Yeah. Um, or maybe like yeah. the Professor X School of Gifted Mutants. Yeah. Or the exactly the Derek Zoolander. Do a Derek Zoolander yeah. school no. for kids who want <laughs> right, to be right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they, have, they have really tiny books in there <laughs> yeah what is it's, this a school uh, for ants <laughs> <laughs> the uh it's uh now it's a lot more like come with me luke and learn the art of nib grinding mm -hmm. type of thing um because it's uh or maybe doc from back to the future is an even better uh <laughs> analogy <laughs> i'll let people make up their own mind but basically for me the way it went was this I had Richard Binder, you know, master of both restoration and nibs, um, had done this thing like it was like a restoration master class. So it wasn't focused on nibs. It was focused on repairing and restoring vintage fountain pens. And I wanted to know all the ins and outs of it. So I signed up for this thing. I paid whatever the admission fee was and I went. And so I got to go to his house and spent four days there and I learned all sorts of incredibly interesting and intricate ways to restore and repair vintage fountain pens. Okay. But I lived in an apartment at the time and uh, I couldn't have in my apartment a machine lathe and a drill press and a bench lathe and 
uh, all the different supplies you might need to really get into restoring fountain pens. So I still had this kind of like fixing bug and I had all these pens that I had acquired as one does when they get into the obsession in the beginning. And I was like, oh, I got to do something with them because they all, they all write the same. Like, what do you like? What am I, I going to do? And I was like, I could send them to nib grinder, but this is going to cost a lot of money. You know, it's a lot of pens. And I was like, but wait, I should learn how to do it myself, just like I was going to do it with the vintage pens. And so I didn't sign up for another class. I just sort of started working with Richard Binder. I shadowed him at, at pen shows. Like I would sit there with him and, and kind of watch what he was doing. He would give me uh, demos and things like that. I, there was some exchange of notes and things like that. And I just was really on my own practicing a lot and then going to my local pen club and having people try out some of the stuff I was doing. And then at some point, wow. someone said to me, you should do this for other people. And I was like, really? No, come on. Like me, do this for other people? And they're like, no, no, you're really good. Do it. So I set up at the Long Island Pen Show in March of 2016. Mm -hmm. And I will confess, it was kind of rocky. I was probably a little in over my head. Uh, I may have gone in a little prematurely, but there, if therein lied, you know, it's a learning process, right? So you learn from your mistakes. And uh, I didn't mess up anybody's pen in any way. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think I caused any damage. I could have just done a better job. And so what I did was I started going every – our pen meeting, the Big Apple Pen Club, meets every Thursday, every second Thursday of every month. So between the Long Island show and the DC show – Every month I brought all the tools I needed and I set up and I worked on people's pens for free just to practice. And uh, in retrospect, people, if you're listening to the podcast, maybe like, oh, wait, that was a learning thing because I definitely was <laughs> trusted with some very rare specimens like vintage pelicans and things like that. Uh, I came out A-OK, -okay, but, you know, uh, from a learning perspective – I mean, I think I was open about it, but I don't know if people right. truly I realize mean, what that meant. Yeah, this is a very yeah. fascinating story. Can we just go back for two seconds? Because what you said to me earlier, what you said to us earlier about you signed up for the Richard Binder class. You lived in an apartment. Yeah. When, when was this? What year was this? Just to get an idea of. So that would have been 2000, summer 2012. I think I would have done the Richard Binder class. Mm -hmm. um, so and, you did... Or maybe it was summer 2000. It might have been summer 2013, actually. Yeah, it was right. summer 2013. Yeah. So 12, 13, you're like, hey, let me sign up for this class. You get this class, you get infected with this bug to repair shit, and then you yeah. say to yourself from then on, instead of – like you weren't able to go to more Richard Binder classes for nib tuning in particular, but the nib tuning you decided to focus on was because of just your restrictions in, in your apartment and stuff like that, right? Yeah, and my own desire to be – so I mean I'll back up and say this. The way I looked at all of this how you know, with the restoration, it all – emanated sort of if you drive a car right mm -hmm. you know how to change a flat tire or at least you should know how to change a flat tire i don't so i was looking at some of the vintage stuff and the original impetus was i gotta you know know how to change a sack that's like the changing of a flat tire okay and so that's how i got into it but then you know i wanted to learn more and more and more and then kind of what you're saying is that it's sort of what happened was i sort of reached the limit of what i could do in my circumstances and then i was like oh well i have all this other stuff that you know these modern pens with these steel nibs like i could just start figuring out how to grind them and make them more exciting and that's sort of how it all mm. began 
So basically between 2012 or 13 to 2016, you then just started going to all these shows and you kind of just started sitting next to Richard Binder and shadowing yeah. him. How was that received? Yeah. Like how was cuz like I got to be honest, I mean, I, I know the feeling of being hungry for information and wanting to learn more and going out and just having this drive to learn stuff, right? Mm -hmm. But what was that like for Richard Binder? Like he has just – this guy who signed up for his class just pulls up a chair and sits next to him at his show. All these – you know, just keeps showing up. Was he open to that? Was he okay with it? Did he, did he want you to go away? Or like what was that like? No, I mean, he, so he, he was not at all, uh, it, it was all positive. He, he had done it with other people and he continues. I think there's folks that will sit there and, and observe what he's doing. He's, I, and I agree. We could talk about this. I fully agree with this notion. He, you know, he, the, 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 one of the most remarkable things about him is how he figured out so much stuff on his own. There was no one to pass him the information when he got interested and started doing all this stuff. So he figured out a lot and he had an engineering background that I think helped, but it was just his own passion to figure it out that led him to do this. And so from his perspective, as, as I understand it, he doesn't want that to all go away. He wants that knowledge passed on to responsible people who take it very seriously um, and and that's why he's willing to do that. And so I'm very lucky that I'm the beneficiary of that way of thinking. And, you know, part of, and we can, I'm happy to talk about this idea more, but a big part of what I think is, is understood between him and the people he teaches is that you will one day also uh, wear that, uh, or play that role where you're going to have to transmit this information to others. And I will tell you already, I have people will sit at what they want to know something that sit down with me at shows and they'll watch me do whatever I'm doing. I'll show them things. Um, you know, I'll answer questions. It really, you know, I can't, you know, I've, no one's ever asked me to apprentice and I would feel like I'm not ready for that yet. But, you know, if someone wants to see how an architect grind is done, you can walk up to me at a show and I'll show you exactly what I do. I don't have a problem doing that. That's pretty cool. You said earlier that you, in 2016, you started at the Long Island Pen Show. And yeah. you might have started a little early. Why is that? Like, what were the what were the yeah. pitfalls that you encountered? So I was fine with the grinding, I feel like. Um, but where I kind of fell short is what I was saying earlier. Maybe it's just me projecting out my own issue I had, but my, the, where I found some challenges was getting the nibs tuned or adjusted, whatever you want to call it correctly. And I remember there was two different pens, maybe both more modern Waterman's and I, I basically over-polished them. And I kept trying to get them smooth and I kept making it worse. And I didn't ruin the nibs or anything by any stretch, but it just was, I can recall like not finding a solution to those two and being 
you know, kind of like I need to get my head right around it. And because, and it, and it goes back to, I think what I was sort of alluding to earlier, which is I was so focused on the grinding that the sort of fixing the problems was not as much of a focus prior to the show. And the people who were giving me feedback were giving it to me on my grinds as opposed to the, you know, them giving me a pen and saying, make this right better, or this is too scratchy, or I don't like the flow. I wasn't addressing those things as much. So my practice up until the show wasn't as focused on the problem solving as it was the grinding and modifying the tips. Because mm-hmm. what, so- yeah. I'm sorry. Do, do you, so do you find that these days are you doing majority is is like doing the the fixing issue or is it more of the grinding thing? Because I saw I'm I'm taking a look at your Instagram. I see that you fixed a Pilot Custom 912. It looks like a 912 FA nib that uh, that went totally in the wrong direction. There, it's yeah. doing it's doing almost a 90 degree kind of thing going on there. And uh, and I would imagine as a nib meister that you know, you have a good blend of both like customization work, but then there's going to be a lot of those issues. Like you were saying, too scratchy, too wet. I dropped it on the floor. Like what's the kind of the blend between the problems and like the specialty grinds? I would say it's mixed. Um, And I couldn't give you like a constant ratio. Um, Interestingly, I'll tell you, because people ask me this time and time, what do you deal with the most? I feel like the thing I frequently deal with, the thing that I've done the most of, like if I were to analyze every written record I could scour my archive to find, I would probably say I have ground to fine and and thinner, you know, extra fine, extra, extra fine, hairline, whatever. Uh, the biggest thing I've done is Mont Blancs. People buy Mont Blancs, but be, I guess because they only come in medium uh, and the people don't really like the fine, the way they do the fine nib. I feel like I've ground so many Mont Blancs to fine and, and, and thinner over the course of my nib career. It's really interesting. And then there'll be like, I, I don't know. I had a, like last year there was, uh, I, maybe because of the Instagram, I feel like I did like a whole series of people wanted really crisp italics. Mm-hmm. Like really sharp italics. Uh-huh. Like I did a bunch in a row. And then, you know, I like I've had some of these bends lately you could see on Instagram. Uh I have another one to go up. I haven't posted it yet. But uh someone had a Galileo Galilee that also was pretty messed up and I got it back on back back into fighting strength. So look you can look out for that. But mm. um, you know, so it's a mix, right? Um but it's good because it's like, you know, in, in terms of you know, sort of helping people, right? It's, uh, you know, so you got the person who had this great pen that's like, they think it, it's done and over and now it's on the way back to them and they can, it has new life. Mm-hmm. And then you have people who yeah. bought something and they just want it better. You make it better. You know, it, it just, it, it, it's good. I don't know how else to explain it. I mean, that's cool. No, <laughs> you know, I obviously get paid, but you know, I, um, I don't want to make it sound totally altruistic, but I, it just, I, you know, to me, there's a value. You're right. I totally understand because I have a Visconti Homo sapien. I think I talked to you about it. Yeah. That I got it. It was just like one direction was a fish hook. The other direction, it was like a stylus on glass. And I'm like, what the fuck? So I yeah. tried smoothing it out with some mylar paper and micro mesh and whatnot. And then I made a fine nib go down to like a thicker medium. And I'm like, I fucked this shit up. So I'm, I'm ready to send that over to you. 
and stuff yeah. like that just to get that worked on. But I you know, I'm just I don't want to dwell on the episode that happened at the Long Island Pen Show. But Yeah, no, it's fine. What I do like to hear about is how people overcome these adversities. How did it affect your confidence? if it did at all and how did you overcome the negative impact it had on your confidence to continue to move forward and to be where you are now? So I had a conversation with my teacher about these issues and it was actually Richard Binder's idea that I do the pen club thing to keep practicing. Right. Mm -hmm. So I had a very talented person telling me to keep going, you know, don't, you know, Maybe it was too early, maybe it wasn't. These problems happen, but you need to just keep working on people's nibs if you if this is what you want, essentially, sure. right? Yeah. Um, I'm a big believer that, and it, you, when I was young, I didn't understand this, but as I got older, I understand it more, is that really becoming excellent at something is a process, right? So I, I don't think I was ever discouraged. Like I wasn't questioning um, – that I, you know, that I should, or saying myself, oh, just stop. You're never going to be good at this. It just, I knew there was a, I needed to address something in how it was. I mean, another thing I know that I was in the beginning had to like get my mind into, because it just didn't have a system was sort of like, all right, someone comes to you and says, I'm having a problem with this nib. What is the right order to like examine the nib? Right. And, uh, you know, I, again, I don't think I ever did anything wrong, but I, I know that in the early days, there were probably times where I was like sitting there trying to figure it out. And like, it took me until I like investigated another angle, you know, like I, 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 maybe the best way to put it is like, I was assuming it was one thing rather than thinking, okay, like we're going to look at the whole package. We're not just going to go to like a theory, you know, like broader view than, than a doctor might, you know, or like the, be more the general practitioner than the specialist mm -hmm. in your approach. Does that make sense? Yes. So, but it, but it's all, you know, again, it's part of the learning process. So, and that was, you know, something that I think we, you know, what, you know, so someone in the future, right. They might have this, this challenge. I, I want to be there to tell them, Yo, listen, it's all right. You just need to think about it, right? You don't don't go one, you know, don't think it's the tines touching until you've checked out this, 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 and this, mm -hmm. you know, or something like that. And only that kind of thing comes with experience. It's just knowing that this problem could arise because of these variables and then eliminating each of those variables and then, you know, kind yeah. of just, just teasing out the problem before going in and making any changes with it. It's just that, uh, yeah, that thing is, that's all about experience, but yeah. you know, it's great that Richard like was a constant positive influence to help you get past that initial. Cause it, it, this is like, this kind of skill is, is really something that doesn't exist. Um, and, and it's really not a lot of information I feel online. I mean, there's some, there's some people have attempted to make some, like content regarding it, but I think a lot of people shy away from being like, well, here's the YouTube channel all about customizing and tuning your nibs because I, I think there's a certain, it, it's not like you guys are trying to, you know, keep all the business for yourselves and not teach this to other people. I think it's just, a, it's a very, very difficult skill that translates as like almost like an art form that has so much intricacy involved and then has a lot of this feel that just only comes from experience. 
Yeah, I I would say. I mean, like to give you an example, right? Skipping, you know, skipping is a, a problem. But there, depending on the circumstances, skipping can be caused by like four or five different issues, you know, and, um, you know, and so it 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 sort of knowing the full universe and then how to address them, right? I guess to your point, Tom, it's it is a it is an intimidating thing, right? Because you're dealing with something you spent some amount of money on, sliding scale, right? Up into the mm-hmm. to, to sky high numbers. And you know, your your uh what's the word? You know, your appetite for risk, I guess, is sort of, <laughs> you know, how much are you gonna mess with this thing? And I will say that I, I'm sometimes surprised how resilient some of these nibs really are and uh, how much um, pressure they can take. I mean, it's just kind of incredible. Um, but the uh, – yeah, I think it's hard to watch a video and really feel like you have a handle like, oh, okay, now I'm going to mess with this $400 object in a way that yeah. might – really mess it up you know after watching a video i get that you know and i think it has a lot to do with how subjective things are when tuning a nib for example you'll have a grinding tool a dental tool i've seen richard binder use that little handheld thing Mm -hmm. and then it has like a little grinder at the top how do you communicate how gently or how much pressure to use everybody's different right so like for example tom might need to use a little bit more pressure than someone who's twice his size and stronger. So for, someone for example, who wrenches caps on. Right? Someone like <laughs> me, right? So he, he might need, in order to reach the same amount of pressure, he might have to use more. But how do you gauge that from a video? How do you explain that? I feel like it's so subjective. It could be treacherous where you say, use you know a moderate amount of pressure then for somebody else, it's just way too much. You know what I'm saying? When when you say pre- – you'd be writing pressure? Like oh, no, when, no. Like how to pre- when you're putting a nib to the grinder. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. I guess you get you get a custom. I mean, for me, I – it's – um, I sort of let the pen work under its own weight, you know? Um, and so – to me, that's the safest way to go is that you just let the gravity and the weight of the pen do it rather than pressing something in because then it goes slow enough that you can really watch what's happening as opposed to if you're pushing, you know, I think you, you think about like a pencil sharpener, but at four times the rate and at a much smaller object, it's going to disappear. Mm-hmm. So generally, I let it go. Uh, I will say, though, that, you know, sometimes you know that you got to have a lighter touch just because one of two things, you know, the nib itself may not be great. You know, I feel like sometimes like the nibs that come out of China are basically like the equivalent of press board. It's like metal shards, just like somehow stuck together and coated. Um, Sometimes the nib itself may have very little to work with. So you're going very slow, Mm -hmm. but so I might lighten up, but generally I work under the pen zone weight, Mm, you know, rather than putting in my own muscle power. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, but even that, if I'm holding a pen and letting the pen rest its own weight onto the grinder, it's different for you than it would be for me. For me, balancing it might require me to hold it a different way or 
without even realizing hold holding it and balancing it puts more weight on it you know that's i mean that's just my whole point with how difficult it is to make a youtube video on how to do this because there's so many elements about nib grinding that's not standard or standardized i think yeah no that i think that's right and the other thing is you know like if you take an architect mm -hmm. you know you got to know the angles to cut into it and mm -hmm. and the thing that i think is the trickiest thing with nibs uh to learn is that it can be somewhat counterintuitive, you know, like, you know, if you, if you trim the side, maybe in the way you think you should, you might damage it. Whereas if you go at it on an angle, you'll get a better cut. Mm -hmm. Um, even though you think you're trying to make something straight. I mean, part of the problem in this, you know, in trying to intuit is that you're not dealing with something that's the equivalent of a flat piece of paper. It's right. It's curved and it's curved in different ways. And then it's slit. I mean, it's got, you know, different things going on in different parts of it. So all of that, you know, leads. So even when you're fixing a bend, right, you can't think about it as an up and down. You got to think of it sort of like as an, on an angle itself that you're, bending and unbending things. Hmm. Um, another counterintuitive thing that I think might surprise people is that if you think you're, 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 you're feeling scratchiness when you're like doing a downstroke, it may be that the top of the, the nib is actually where the, the edge is that's giving you the scratchiness. Hmm. And you don't even think that, am I really hitting the paper with that? But you are. The nib moves in ways you, you can't, I don't know, I mean, at least for me, I know that the nib is moving. I'm not always visualizing exactly how it's hitting the paper. And so it's easy to think, okay, well, I only need to sand this area because this other area is not going to affect the writing. And that's not true. It catches in some way and then it feels scratchy. Mm, you know, the over polishing issue, you know, if you like what I was doing at that first Long Island pen show with those couple of nibs was I was over polishing it to the point where it was, so, so smooth that the ink couldn't adhere to the front of the nib. Oh. So if you think it was almost like you, if you poured liquid or you poured ink on a mirror and then pushed your, your hand on it, you know, like it would start to, it would start to like create friction because it would push the liquid out of the way. And your, 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 the, the surface of your hand would just be making contact with the mirror and there'd be nothing in between. And that's sort of what wow. I was doing. So it wasn't to fix that, right? You need to add back the friction. So it's not like a major thing to correct, but it just was like I was overdoing it mm -hmm. because of my, you know, sort of amateur thing or, you know, just a lack of ex of insight into what I was doing. Okay, that's very interesting. And speaking of insight, can you give our listeners insight on what kind of tools that they should have for their own nib tuning and smoothing that they can themselves uh, do versus what it is that you have, right? So like, I know you have the Iron Man suit of fucking nib tuning. What yeah. is it the rest of us non-superheroes can use? What do you recommend? Yeah. So, all right. So some of, some great vendors like Independence sell a nib tuning kit. And you're going to find in there, if you're going to try it yourself, you're going to find a few things that are sort of essential. So the first thing is 2,000 wet-dry sandpaper cut into little squares. So 2,000 wet-dry sandpaper is a 2,000 grit, I should say, is what I use. It's really good for shaping, but it doesn't take a ton of material. It doesn't take much material off at all. It's really good for removing scratches and things like that. 
Now, why is it in squares? It's in little squares, and we're talking like, you know, less, less than an inch by an inch, um, mainly because it's easier to control it when you're doing dip smoothing. Um, you know, if you have to pick it up and sort of sand off a place on the nib, it's easier to do that than if you had a whole sheet of, of sandpaper. Okay. The next thing you're going to find in there is uh, micro mesh. Um, and it's usually the like emery board. So like, you know, like the, like the, like almost like the nail, nail like file. The, yeah. Nail file. That's it. Um, and the, the most important thing on there, generally speaking, is the 12,000 grit. And it doesn't really feel like it's grit. It feels just like a like a matte finish gray uh, micro, you know, surface that is used for smoothing. Yeah, 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 exactly. Almost like a you know, like a it's 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 finer than a paper towel for sure. But it it, it is like yes, like a more like a cloth. So that's used for for smoothing, and that's really where you got to be careful because if you overdo it on that, that's where you get that mirror finish that's not good. So you got to be careful with that. So you don't want to overdo it. You want to test, you know, after doing a little bit of it. Um, and then uh, they will have, uh, I believe, 0.03 microcron, microcron um, lapping film. That's for removing little like metal microscopic metal mountains that might be left on the nib when you're smoothing it. Um, and then there'll be the green lapping film. The, the, the other one is white. The green is really actually will polish it very quickly in a way that will give you the mirror finish, uh, to your detriment. So that's usually used for flossing out the nib. You might find, uh, a little square of brass shim that's for kind of adjusting with the flow. Um, but with all of it, you know, you want to learn a little bit about what are the techniques one way or another, whether it's from attending a nib smoothing class that I sometimes help Richard teach at shows. Uh, if it's, you know, watching videos, if it's reading repair manuals, whatever it is, uh, you want to understand a little bit about what, what you're supposed to be doing. The one thing you always want to avoid doing, unless you know exactly what you're trying to achieve, is to strike the tip of the nib with one of these abrasives in the same direction over and over and over again. Because that will wear away an edge or a surface into the nib that you do not want. And that could require the nib to be like like seriously uh, altered to fix it. Because you got to then equalize whatever the other side of the nib to match that. Hmm. That makes sense. So you got to be very careful with that. But yeah, so those are sort of the basic things. I mean, there's other things out there that, you know, you hear about or other materials that you can find that are good. Some are bad. I mean, I know that there's every every few years some online kerfuffle begins over whether the brown paper bag trick is worth doing. I mean, the what I'll say, my understanding, I've never tried it. I actually wouldn't try it. Um, you know, the, the problem is that the brown paper bag does not have consistent grit. Hold so, on, yeah, hold on one serve... second, Josh. Can you, I don't know yeah. what you're talking about. What is the brown paper bag trick? Oh, you've never heard of the brown paper bag. All right. No. So back in the days when the forum fountain pen network was a thing that everyone in the fountain pen community utilized. Back then, in those ancient times, we used to uh, used to see these posts where someone claimed that if your nib was scratchy, you could just like run it in different directions or do figure eights or something on a brown paper bag, like from the grocery store. And 
the the other one you used to read about was the the copper penny trick, where basically you would run the nib back and forth over the uh, like the Lincoln Memorial part of the um, the the penny. And I guess because it like had like the little grooves cut in it, it, it served as some abrasive purpose. Wow. The problem with all of those things is that there's no precision in what it in, in the manufacturing. When you buy 3M or auto, you know, auto finishing 2000 grit wet dry paper, there's some precision. The micro mesh is precise. So the grit in those things are not precise. I don't even know how I don't even I frankly don't even I've never I don't, I don't even want to watch the penny thing happen. It frightens me to, right. to my core. <laughs> that sounds you know, it's terrible. Like blasphemy. Yeah, right. But people swear by it. And you know what? Like, it, I guess it's their pens. They can knock themselves out. I mean, if you believe in these methods, you're able to do it. Um, all I can say is that at least with the brown paper bag trick, the drawback or the risk is that the grit in it, because it's just paper fiber pressed together, is not going to be precise. So like, yeah, it might sand off like the thing that's scratchy, but then like it, you're, you're, the other time may just completely disappear. Because something more abrasive is on the other side of it, and you're just not aware of it. Wait you know? a minute. Wait a minute. A brown paper bag is a paper bag. It, it's paper. Am I am I missing yeah. something about what the brown paper bag is made of? Like, why would a brown? Why would paper? Because it's rough. It's got a coarse. It's got a coarse texture. Yeah. So it. But like that's what. So my, if you feel like micro mesh, micro mesh just feels. You know, it doesn't feel like sandpaper. It just feels like it's just got like a matte finish or so so this is kind of like even a more milder version the pa- the brown paper bag but you know what to what josh is saying it's like it's 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 wildly inconsistent because this is just it's not meant to be engineered as sandpaper it's just meant to be a brown paper bag right but should it matter i mean <clears throat> i think tom you and i have spoken about this before the tipping of a nib is made of iridium which is super super hard right so should it matter Iridium can't be worn down by a paper bag, can it? I mean, to me, that sounds like wearing down a knife on warm butter, right? So, like, uh, Josh. Yeah, I, 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 listen, I've never tried it. I never will try it. I'm just telling you what is out there in in the cyberverse mm-hmm. as a solution to nib smoothing. And apparently, I mean, if you think about it this way, right, the, it's, it, if you if you were to rub or if you were to circle, you had div- you you had endless time and some sort of like way to nu- get nutrients and to what I'm about to explain, it would create the same thing. If you took a piece of paper mm-hmm. and or as much paper and all you did was just scribble ba- or just take your fountain pen and go back and forth for days. And then months and then years. And you never left your seat. You just kept doing this over and over. (laughs) At some point, the fiber of the paper would wear down your nib. That's what, I mean, you see that with vintage fountain pens that got used a lot, right? There's There's like a surface worn into them. What I think people are thinking is the fiber of the brown paper is 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 coarser, like Tom's saying, and so they think, oh, okay, well, I'll just grab this out of the recycling bin or whatever, yeah. and I'll run my pen over there, and it'll do that, and it'll sand down whatever's rough, right? But the problem is, you it, again, it doesn't have the same precision manufacturing, so 
Yeah, it might work, but it also risks damaging it in some way. Right, because uh, that's no, what it is. There's you know. no standard consistency to the abrasiveness exactly. of the paper bag versus if you yeah. have mylar paper or micro mesh. It's designed yeah. to be consistent. But the whole thing that bothers me here is, listen, if I sat here and rubbed <laughs> yeah. up and down on my smartphone the glass, right? Yeah. For a hundred years, that glass is not I'm not gonna groove anything out into the glass because But what's gonna happen to your finger? Mm? Right, but my finger is softer than the glass, right? So the nib is harder than the paper. Why would the soft paper have an effect on a hard iridium metal surface if it's softer, right? Like I just I just don't understand that. Maybe my dumb brain isn't grasping it, but how can how can paper which pens are designed to be written on, abrasive or not, it's not going to be more dense or more strong than the metal that the nib is made of, right? Yeah, but it's still, the fibers still have the capability to start to slowly remove the surface of the, the nib over time. Hardness hmm. or not, it's still, the fibers have that capability. And so that's why it it will it will do that. There's a there's there's there are some nib folks that finish their nibs in a way that they expect the user's use of the pen on paper will take care of the last bit of tuning. Wow. I don't necessarily hmm. agree with that. I I don't agree with that in terms of of of, of the what 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 happens but there is that i've heard that from people that there's someone out there that does that uh someone who's very talented and and knowledgeable does that and it it you know it, it but it's a judgment based on what they think is best you know on mm. how to go about doing this right so i for me i i don't do that um but there are people who say okay or at least one person i, I could think of says all right this this one aspect of the nib will get resolved by someone writing with it on paper consistently. I'm, and it's true. It's almost it will, like saying like it'll break in. Yeah. Eventually. You know, but the idea, right, is again, the, the fibers can the fibers take off at some point the metal. The metal, you know, gets scratched. If you think about, you know, something could be hard, but it could be scratched. It's a, it's sort of that, you know, every scratch is a little microscopic little whatever piece of metal that goes over time, you know? I so. mean, I guess that makes sense because when you're polishing a knife, you're polishing a knife with like buffing wheels and, and yeah. stuff, or rather let, let me make it more. Well, I mean, I guess that's a good one. I guess like they have these soft polishing wheels that make it shiny. And the reason why it's getting shiny is because you have trillions of little scratches that make it look shiny as opposed yeah. to coarse scratches. But I just I just can't I don't know why my I'm having trouble grasping why is it something softer than metal will wear down something harder than it. You know what I mean? Like paper shouldn't wear down metal. That's why we're using metal, because it's resistant to being worn down by paper. Because like well, it's, it, it's because it's constant application over time. That's what it really is. It's like it's like the the if you're you're thinking of it, I no, think no, that's of like exact, you're, you're, of like what if, you just said is perfect. It's constant application over time. How long are we sitting there and smoothing out this nib on a paper bag? <laughs> right, like it has to I be mean, constant and over time. How is it that even an hour's worth of figure eights could erode away 
iridium tipping from a paper bag. Listen, piss on a paper bag for five seconds. That paper bag falls apart, right? As a wet paper bag. <laughs> yeah, but but think think about it this way though, right? You're thinking about it as a whole, right? And at the at the at the level of, of perception you're at, it's the whole bag, right? But when it dis- disintegrates from the urine, using this analogy, um, it's not melting away, right? It's breaking apart and all those fibers are separating from each other. Mm. So I don't know if you should think of the paper as a whole being soft. Think about it as that there's these fibers inside the paper that can be hard. And it's the fibers that can do that, you know? Yeah. And so that, I think that maybe, does that help visualize the phenomenon? It It made me suddenly think of, remember remember a million years ago when we used to collect CDs and they would always say, oh, don't use a paper (laughs) towel because it will scratch it. But a paper towel is softer Mm -hmm. than a CD. So I, I guess, yeah, I understand that too. That that starts. It's the fibers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's the fibers. It's kind of, yeah, that, that, that kind of starts to make sense. I guess I'm thinking about it too simplistically. It's like, you know, this one's hard, this one's soft, hard one wins. You know, that's what's going on in my brain. But there was something else that I wanted to ask you about. And this, this one is kind of about just the differences between nibs. Like in your experience after dealing with so many nibs, and this came yeah. up because Tom texted me the other day a question about the nibs. Are you able to tell if two nibs from like if you had a Bach nib and a Yobo nib and they're both just bare? Which is which? Yes. How? So I could it, well, I mean, I don't know if this is what you're going for. One thing is the shape. There's slight differences in how they're stamped out and bent you know, like curved. Mm -hmm. So I can look at those and tell somewhat what it is. Not always. It's not a perfect science. Um, If I were to take two blank nibs that are completely unmarked uh, and we're talking steel, um, I would be able, I would probably be able to tell if I bent the tines back and forth, like push them up and down. I'd probably be able to see kind of what I thought was the Bach and what was the Joe based Mm -hmm. on, the, the hardness the Joe's are definitely harder like okay. the steel is, is, a, is a, feels like it, it feels denser than the than the the Bach mm-hmm. so which are your preferred out of either or ah all right well I'm gonna say that I think that the Bach gold nibs are great but and so I if you said to me Bach gold versus Joe gold I probably would say eh. I could go either way. Um, it depends on what we're talking about. But for steel, far and away, Joe is better. Why is that? Um, is, yeah. I mean, I, for, I mean, first, having cut into these things, you know, with, with, with tools and stuff like that, I feel like the Joe are much more resilient and they, they take better to it. You can get great results with Bach. It just feels like there's something more, uh, there's just something stronger with the Joe. The Bach, so my, I've had some experience with just personal pens and Bach nibs that have had weird things happen. So for example, there was some Bach nibs that were sold to Italian brands over time. 
And I think something having to do with the coating of the metal was not having good, re they were having poor reactions with ink and were starting to oxidize and pit. And like, I took the cap off one day and like the ink had grown into like some sort of like stalactite <laughs> like protrusion from the thing and it left like a little indentation in the slit i was like what is this i you know my understanding is that that was the coating um there's been issues with the feeds where they either slosh ink out or don't let ink pass so uh, both the ways they've they've had problems i tend to use like a detergent on all my box feeds to get those clean um and because there's there's stuff in the, they leave in there what kind of detergent um, are you talking about so i can't i'm not actually that I'm, I'm not i'm not i'm not fooling around i'm it's a proprietary item that i'm not at liberty to disclose oh. but if you have a if you have um like if you use like a very gentle i would for most people i would say try the like a gentle dish detergent um and if you have a uh what's it called a hydrosonic cleaner try it and see if it it'll help okay. with that um yeah i mean they just the you hear different things about these companies through the vine from the people who buy the, the nibs to put them in pens and 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 beyond right like beyond them you're from other people so there's all sorts of stuff that gets talked about I just I find the Joe very reliable overall in pretty much all circumstances, and even when they had like the situation with the housing cracking, and people were like, "Only Bach, Bach is the future." I was like, "Get out of here!" Like this is like, come on, like this is the you do like yes, you're you anecdotally had three of these happen, and I agree with you, it's annoying and it it needs to be fixed, but. It's not like the whole brand has to be thrown away, you know. The, they do make a good product. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It takes like years of that kind of stuff happening. I mean, even even now, yeah. you look at the kind of reputation that Bach has developed over the various brands that they have, and they're still around. So it's you know, yeah. it's uh, it's it's it, there's there's room for that sort of error. You know, just people don't have to panic over that one little thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, most people in the pen business, my experience is they want things to work, you know, very, even, even, I mean, this is going to kind of, we were talking about sort of the imitation people, right? I feel like even the people in China who are like knocking off pens left and right, and like kind of making a mockery of like intellectual property, um, mm -hmm. still, are, even they are trying to make things that work, you know, like they have like an investment in trying to get it right you know and even if trying to get it right is like mimicking a, a vanishing point or something like that right yeah you know so volume wise which brands between bach and yovo do you find comes to you and lands in your desk because of quality control issues um hmm that's a great question i would say Quality control issues is probably the Bach. Yeah, I would say Bach mm -hmm. comes more often. Joe, I see a lot of for modifications because you know they're they take to grinding very well. You can do really good work on them. So yeah, and and there's plus there's I feel like everybody has got 
the uh, Yovo number six nib on their pen. Like it's just, it's almost just like everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much everyone's going that route. Um, although I don't know. I mean, the one thing I've, I've wanted to try recently, cause I just was sort of curious and mm-hmm. is, you know, Scribo is, uh, you know, like an, like a, it's not an offshoot, but you know, like the employees of Omos, right. Started that brand right. Scribo Yes. And they're mimicking the nibs and like the nibs came from Bach, I believe. Like they weren't making uh what's it called? Omos wasn't making their own nibs. Right. Um and I'm kind of curious to see like what their version of the Omos style Bach nibs is like just cuz I'm mm-hmm. curious cuz I saw a different, you know, those came to me at their various times for quality control reasons, you know, like they Okay. They, um, but not necessarily because they're all, you know, I wouldn't say that uh, we're not talking like it was like a problem, but I'm just curious, like with, with, with just like what it is. Cause it, you know, they're, they're, first of all, they're very expensive pens overall. Um, and you, so you, you wonder, you know, they say they're handmade and then, you know, part of the cost is in the nib. So what, what is that? You know? So I'm just curious mm-hmm. about it. I haven't had an opportunity to really like check them out. So. Yeah, but, from what I understand, I've experienced because I've owned and wrote with a, a an Omaso Giva with the extra flexibility nib, which is the fourteen karat yeah. gold nib, and with also the Scribo in the feel with the fourteen karat, which they call feel the flex nib. They look very similar, and they perform pretty much the same. If not, I kind of felt that the Scribo had a little bit like quicker of a snapback on mm. the when you're when you're leaving pressure on it and and i'm just like i i looked at and and i've i've talked to luca before and the, this the the gist of what i understand happened was that they purchased the tooling and the machinery that that bach was using to exclusively make omas nibs and that's what's being used for scribo nibs yeah so and and i mean it 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 kind of pair it it kind of matches up to the actual product itself because i'm like oh wow these are basically the same thing if if not i feel like just slightly more improved or it could have just been you know just the difference between two different flex nibs that you know that's it could just be slightly different between both of them but like it was just it, it just was such a great you know, it wasn't imitation. It just was like such a great like way to kind of continue on the brand, the 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 what what one of the key aspects that people really enjoyed about it, which was the yeah. writing experience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's uh, the probably puts it the best is like what I was curious about because, you know, I it uh, it's it's interesting, right? You know, when you kind of hear about the people who make nibs in a brand, right? So like. We were very fortunate several years ago. We had, um, I think it's, is it Filippo Longario from Aurora came mm-hmm. to this, to New York City with some of the Aurora family. Um, and I think they were, they were kind of debuting their like semi flex nib. Right. Uh, back in like, yeah. So uh, we had them, we had an event at like a bar in uh, Midtown with Kenro. Um, and it was just, it was really, I really appreciated that they have like, you know, an engineer there who's really thinking about 
nibs and like as an expert and you know like some of the japanese brands uh have that as well and it's like it's it's interesting because what you see when you when you look under magnification at that you see something that is way more unique like i'll tell you and i don't know how much you all know about this but basically you know sailor for example finishes their nibs they the tip of their nibs are cut like no one else and you know they they have a reason for doing it i i can tell you what it is in a way that i would feel comfortable saying on a podcast um but they finish their nibs in a very particular way and it it's it's it you know it can be frustrating for certain writers depending on the angle you hold your pen at but at least like there's someone out there, you know, mass producing something that has its own spin on it. You know, I don't know. I kind of like it, even if it's mm-hmm. uh, like even when it's uncomfortable for me, I keep it. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll suffer through because I uh, there's like a certain artistry that I don't want to eliminate from there. Mm-hmm. You know, which uh, which brand do you feel makes the best nibs out of the box? Uh, that's a great question, Tom. And I feel uh, now now I'm stressed. No, I'm stressed. Now, <laughs> take a um, breath. For me, I always liked the pilot nibs, mm. and I liked, and I love. I mean, I really like the Aurora nibs. Um, and Pelican. I mean, Pe- and I'm going to start naming brands. I'll be like, oh, and I also like Pelican. Um, <laughs> so all you know, of them is what yeah. you're saying. <laughs> no, I mean, look, they- <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I well, I have I have some some tr- things to say about Lamy right now, but. Um, the the they they all the the thing is this from my perspective all of the brands we just mentioned do a good job but they don't what they do doesn't work for every person in all circumstances which is just like a reality right mm-hmm. so why do i say that what i say i say that for take example extra fine nibs again we go back to the idea different nib manufacturers finish nibs differently and so, for example, something I see a lot of is that, like, with the extra fines from Platinum and Pilot, they tend to come to, like, a very pointy edge at the top, which if you hold your pen at, like, a 40-degree angle, you may never encounter that problem. But if you hold it more at, like, a 60-degree angle, that's going to give you issues, uh, and it's going to be uncomfortable. And it sometimes happens with Lamy, you know, like the Lamy, someone I just got from, they want me to fix this problem in a Lamy 2000. So, you know, it's not that they're bad or, you know, not a good product or a fine product. It's just the way it's being finished isn't working for that particular person, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So um, here's yeah. a scenario for you. Yeah. Let's say there's an alien like mothership that comes down and they demand from you a a symbol of what makes earthlings worthy enough not to be completely erased off of the face of the universe i like what this so is they so so basically they're they're asking you they're like what what do you do and you're like i'm a nibmeister it's like well show me the nib that will save the human race and what would be that nib mm. All right. Well, I'm going to attempt to uh, answer that in a way that doesn't uh, offend anybody's, uh, especially the alien sensibilities. No, I I think for me, if I wanted to, oh, it's such a 
All right. All right. All right. Don't all right. forget the, I'm ready. The I'm ready fate, to make the, the call. The fate of human, the human race is <laughs> No, I know. Man. Every time I'm ready, I'm like, but if I say that, oh, no, 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 no. All right. I'm, I'm ready to make the, I'm ready to give the answer. Ready for this? <laughs> ready. You guys right. are going to love this. Ready? I don't know if this is what you want to hear, but this is what you're, you're, you're stuck with this answer. I would give them, I would bring them a British manufactured uh, Parker 51 with a broad Parker 51 nib. And as okay. I would say, this is it. This is the, this is what you, you should, this, this is, is, this is our achievement in, of Pendum. <laughs> yes, this is what you, in looking to save a planet, this is what we, we give you. Huh. Okay. Why do I say that? You want to know why I say that? No, I, I mean, do. Because I'm listening. I'm sure everyone wants to know. I, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Why. why do I say that? I say it for a couple of reasons. First of all, personally, I don't know what it is. I just think that I like the British, I like British nibs personally. I think that they, they, there's something with the, their tipping that I find very enjoyable. I can't put my finger on it. I need to actually, I should as an, as somewhat of a, a professional on this, like research this issue and know why this is, but I can just tell you it, I like British nibs and i like their tipping uh very much for some reason it just feels great mm -hmm. i don't know what it is yeah. anyway so that's the first so that's the start of it second is like the parker 51 itself is probably one of the greatest engineered pens that has ever been created and i'm talking about the vintage not like you know reproduction stuff and so from you know sort of the if we're looking for like the high point of fountain pen achievement you know, the whole system of like the, of what's under the hood, you know, like that literally the, the hood is what's, what, what encloses the feed and uh, well, there's a whole, a whole bunch of parts, but you know, that, that is all superior engineering that was born out of, you know, like a high point in like, you know, industrial engineering in the world. So to me, it, it does, it does, it means a lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, the nib itself, right? I mean, if, I don't know if either of you have ever taken a Parker 51 apart. I mean, the nib basically sits around the feed and the, the feed and the nib slide into this collector that is like this multi-fin thing. And it was all created so that if you wanted to use Parker quick dry ink, it wouldn't dry out on you. Mm -hmm. um, so it needed to like hold a lot of liquid with capillary action um, in, you know, a way that uh, allowed it all to stay there, but not dry out, which I, I think about that, that it, that's kind of an interesting. It's interesting. I yeah. visualize it as like an Italian sausage filled with ink. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's not, you're not wrong. I mean, even that the 61 that came out, uh, you know, later has this like cartridge that's basically like rolled up sheet a sheet of plastic rolled up with little holes in it so that mm. the ink would f engorge this thing <laughs> told you we're gonna go double entendre at some point. <laughs> it's gonna nice. it's gonna it's gonna engorge this the inside of this cartridge the same thing with the 51 to some extent mm -hmm. so you know and that you know when you think about creating something out of such rudimentary items like that that kind of you know she says a lot about us. Yeah, sure. I'm Hopefully looking up. I'm looking way. up right now. I'm trying to snatch up the last of the British Parker 51s mm. in yeah. broad nib. Yeah, so, you should. So before before other people listen to this podcast yeah. and are like, wait a second. <laughs> 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 the fate well, of human now, kind, now you know what I spent. 
Well, I, I, I'll tell everyone I did not spend all day cornering the market on that pen. So right. <laughs> when the run went on it, I could just Tom, sell them off. Me. You know. Hey, I want to <laughs> just really quick go back to something that you mentioned. We were talking about Scribo and Flex Nibs, and, and, and I think I need to bring it up since I have a Nibmeister on. What about Flex Nibs? What makes a Flex what? Nib now suck so much compared to 1920 like why is it a guy with overgrown facial hair smoking a pipe in in a shack how come he can make in 1920 make a flex nib that works so much better than any of the flex nibs that exist today so i wish i had an answer for you but i don't uh other than to say that um, you know, first thing is think of like, if you look at how some of these things actually bend, right. When you put pressure on them, a lot of them go up and down rather than like out at an angle. Right. So that, so there's an issue with the geometry of how they're being made. Um, beyond that, I, 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 I will confess I'm not an expert on, uh, flex lure i mean there's different theories out there that they you know that they had different alloys back then um i think my personal theory and it's not based on anything other than you know kind of what i intuit from just thinking about these things you know so much more was done by hand back then right Mm -hmm. and you know that may have something to do with it because you know when if you think about i mean i don't know how much folks know about how nibs are made right but basically you have a sheet of metal and then something comes down and punches this stuff and and then it gets formed again by like an industrial machine literally like pressing down on it right mm-hmm. so when that happens the there's a hardening that takes place because there's like, I think it's called work that you, know, you add work into the metal. It firms up the metal, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're going to use your typical nib stamping equipment, right? You're going to be putting a lot of pressure into the nib. that's going to want to firm it up rather than make it flexible. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that compares necessarily to what went on back in the day, other than if, you know, if you think about it not being so standardized, it's possible that there was different ways to 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 form the nib at different pressures, perhaps, or, you know, mm. you could do different things. I, I don't really know. I don't the, the problem is there's not a lot of record about how this all played out. There's even theories that no one really made flex nibs. They just became that way over time. I don't know if that's correct, but um, there were... The gold, I mean, the I gold think just were, got softer or the metal yeah, just got softer yeah. and more pliable. Yeah, but that's not... I don't think that that's correct. Uh, I think I think initially I should restate that. I've heard a theory that a lot of nibs that people get down that they'll say, oh, this is flexible. It's not that it's actually flexible. It's that it's been worn and that that's just a worn nib that flexes as opposed to the truly flexible nibs that were manufactured as such. Cause they were manufactured. You know, I think, you know, there were definitely flex nibs that were marketed um, as such back in the day. So they existed. Um, so it's a combination of things. I mean, the geometry of flex nibs is different than what uh, you know. So if you think of why, like, you know, the, what I guess if you think of the, what you're doing when you're making a flex nib right out of like, if you take the Joel, right. And then there's the Omniflex, 
that some brands have or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. You have to change up what you're doing in a significant way to manufacture a flexible knit. And they're doing it out of steel, which I think generally most flexible nibs are 14 karat gold. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing it with steel and you're trying to keep the cost down to make it vi a viable business decision, are you going to get the same results? You know, you know, and, 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 you know, maybe it's truly cross prohibitive. I know, I don't know if, if he, I, I've seen, there's a, the guy, there was a guy, he made some nibs for Sean Newton years ago mm -hmm. and Steve light, who's up here in New York city has one of them. And I, I, I tried it and it, I mean, it is a legit gold flex nib, but like 10 of them exist in, that I know are, you know, something really restricted number exist in mm -hmm. very few hands. And so I, you know, and so does that tell us anything about what it would take to like manufacture flex, flex nibs on the grand scale? I'll confess. I mean, I, it's something I'm learning more about, uh, currently and, but I will tell, I don't, for me, I don't love flex. Mm. I would rather have like a triple broad oblique is what's giving me all that flamboyance when I write. Mm -hmm. I almost well, said something like that with the alien question, but then I thought, thought better. Of it. It's like, we, we need to give him something. There's a lot on really the line with that question. I didn't expect yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Tom. I'm impressed, Tom. But, you know, Linda Kennedy <laughs> of Independence, since you brought it up, she does a fantastic job. And she was also a, a protege, a deshi of... Yeah. Of with Richard Binder, and she does a fantastic job at making the wet noodle flex nib out of a 14 karat Yovo nib. Yeah, no, she does. And, but she's doing a lot to it instead of just cutting like angel wings or something into right. it. Do you right. know what I mean? Yeah. What so, kind, what kind of stuff the, do you think she's doing? You're saying she's doing a lot more than just cutting style. I think, Black yeah, no, magic. I, yeah, I think that, uh, <laughs> and, well, I believe what. I believe what happens is the Alien 10 head technology. of cattle are walked across a mountain and then, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, no, it, there's, the, there's definitely a cutting, like removing material on the sides mm -hmm. so that the, the tines themselves have a different shape. They're adjusting the, the slit in, in, in a particular way. I believe they're removing some material from the bottom. The other thing you have to do is you have to adjust the feed in some way. And this is something I'm currently or I'm about to embark on learning myself. So um, I, I, I don't know all the ins and outs. I just know some of the basic stuff um, to get you where you need to go. You need to adjust the feed too by basically cutting another channel into it or two. Mm -hmm. um, so that you have enough ink flow to feed the, 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 the space between the tines. So, um, so it's a few, there's, it's like a various things that, that happen to it. But again, it's, it's again, the, you know, if you, so if you think about that, right, it, what do you, if you're going to manufacture flexible gold nibs like that on a grand scale, what do you have to do to do it? You know? So that's the, that's the conundrum, I think, is this the cost of someone mm -hmm. tooling, you know, figuring it all out. I mean, I don't know, Tom, you, so you were talking about the, the, the feel the flex, right? Yeah. I mean, so, so what's your take on that? Does that, does that give you all the flex well, your heart desires? It's, it scratches my itch. It all scratches right. the itch. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, 
uh, like you can probably get a bit better and certainly with uh like a vintage flex like there's vintage wet noodle flex that's really only achievable i feel by like you know you look at like some of the older waterman or conklin pens that are out there the turn of the century types yeah. that uh you know that that have that sort of uh, ability and there's really nothing else other than maybe like if you mess around modifying a pen that could hold a, a zebra g nib and uh you know and kind of deal with having to change that nib out every once in a while because it it ends up corroding uh but really like to get the full full flex kind of thing it's a very rare but yeah. I, i'm kind of happy with just something that adds a little bit of line variation similarly to how like people are happier with a cursive italic that writes smaller than a 1.1 millimeter stub you know it's like like that that 1.1 millimeter sometimes just is a little too much for me like i you know it's like a little too much line variation but if i could get like a flex nib that you know gives me just a little bit of a hint of line variation i'm i'm kind of happy with it and i think it achieves what it's looking to do which is just kind of adding that flourish and flair to your handwriting you're not looking to you know let's say uh uh, you know, uh, craft copper plate and Spencerian invitations with it. For that, you might as well just go get a speedball dip nib, you know, sort of thing, and a calligraphy nib that goes along with it, and and use like the pigmented or the or the the uh, calligraphers type of inks. But for just general purpose writing, and then if you want to add like a nice like header where you just you know do the flex nib on the header. You know, that's that's where I kind of look for it. It's like it's like it does it kind of give me just a bit of line variation uh, like that. I can notice that there's a significant difference and it's easy to produce and, and doesn't, you know, railroad or dry up on me. Then great. You know, that's that that's what it works for. And yeah. I think that's a uh, screwball yeah. does pretty well. at that. Yeah. You know what the thing is, though, then you have people like me that need all of it in one. Right. So like you have <laughs> like just people like me who says, oh, I want an everyday writer that can give me wet noodle flex. And then you're out in this search for this unicorn of a fountain pen that doesn't exist. And then if it does, like, for example, the Scribo Feel is the closest thing to a modern pen that is as close as you can get to a wet noodle because of its dramatic line dif difference, the line variation. But the problem with today's market is you either have to pay $800 to get a pen that gives you a good amount of flex or you don't pay $800 and you pay like 20 bucks for a pen that smells like a butthole. You know what I'm saying? So like with yeah. the Noodler's pens. So it's like there's nothing – it's like there's no balance. Like why can't there be a pen that gives you a decent amount of flex that's like maybe 300 bucks instead of 800 bucks like the Scribo Feel is, right? Or even like yeah. with, with the Kennedy's Wet Noodle Number 6 Yovo nib, that nib alone, if you wanted to buy it, it's, I think it's upwards to $300 and you can screw it onto whatever pen you want. You know that's a, that's actually one a, a, a very favorable option because she like like Josh said she modifies the nib and she modifies the feed. Yeah, I I will tell you there. I'm not gonna. This is I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out. But there's a steel. I so I used to do fencing, right? And uh, you know fencing weapons like not fencing like in uh, you know I'm gonna enclose your yard. Fencing, like the sport of fencing, right? And not, not the so, illicit selling of stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's what you, <laughs> usually that's what people think I'm talking about because uh, I think it goes hand in hand with uh, pens, right? <laughs> but fencing, you know, so fencing weapons, right? So there's the there's the foil, the epee, and the, the saber. 
those things are made to bend and then snap back for the most part because they, um, you know, you need to be able to sort of lunge at somebody, right? So it needs mm-hmm. it needs to have give. And there was this steel that this company, Leon Paul, I'm giving out, I'm giving out my idea now to the public because I'm curious if people know what, what I'm talking about. Um, but there was a steel from uh, this company, Leon Paul. And I always, it, it was a very, I want to say flexible steel, but it always went back to where you wanted it to be. And they used some special steel. And I've always wondered, could you make a nib out of it? Mm. So, you know. Just melt that, down that, your I sword. Just, I just get... Yeah, exactly right. Like, just do it. Like, get the elves to like throw it in the fires of Mount Dune. Like, just sit there, <laughs> hammering it away. Some mystical music it would be good. I just gave out my retirement plan, by the way. That right was, now, the whole world has it. So, but um, listen, listen, Josh. Before we go, I want to ask you two questions because I'm on your website, and the two questions I want to ask. The first one is if you scroll all the way down. Before the communicate yeah. page, there's a picture of you standing there wearing a suit from what appears like you stole it from somebody in the 1940s. Yeah. Where'd you get that suit? All right. So that suit comes from Martin Greenfield Clothiers in, uh, I think it's Bushwick. Mm. That is actually a picture of me from my wedding. Mm. I got married at this really awesome old club in lower Manhattan called the downtown association. Okay. So that's actually a picture of me in like a, like a kind of like a, like a big sitting room in front of this huge fireplace, I think. Right. And, but the suit comes from this guy or this company, Martin Greenfield, it's in Brooklyn. And what's interesting about Martin Greenfield is they make a lot of suits for movies. So you can get some, like I didn't want like a costume. So like I could have been like, make me a 1920s suit, make me a 1930s suit. Like Mm. I wanted something that was like a little referential, but not like a costume, but they basically Mm -hmm. make costumes like from ever, like for movies, men's suits, you know, pretty much what we're talking about. So like they did boardwalk empire and like I did, you know, like they do all sorts of crazy stuff. And basically they told me that they can make you a suit from pretty much every era going back to like, 1860 or something they have a pattern they have the cut like they know exactly what to do wow because they've done so many of them and then they do work for designers and things like that um so yeah so there but you can go to the factory it's like this old factory in bushwick like by i think it i forget what it is but um and you can go in there and they will measure you you pick out the materials as was my Dad, uh, was very fortunate for my wedding. They, he purchased my brother and I and himself custom made suits. It was like his dream to do it. So that's awesome. Got it for our wedding, it was very cool. So he's a really cool experience. Uh, and uh, when you go, like you will be there with famous people sometimes coming in for costume fitting or just because they want their their tuxedo. I was shown uh, a president's suit one time when I was there. Right. They're like, look at the name in here, and it is the president of the United States suit <laughs> on a hanger in front of me. So a very cool experience. That's pretty cool. The second question yeah. I had about your website is the second image. So you have the JJ Lacks Pen Company. You have what looks like a Google Maps of Brooklyn. <laughs> and then you is that sc- the image? Yeah. And then you scroll down to yeah. services. And I love this line, achieve nib nirvana. And then there's a services offered. Everything is pretty standard. Yeah. Stub, all styles of italic, oblique stub or italic, 
Upturn Point, Architect. What is this one? Big Bottom Girl. Oh, the Big Bottom Girl. So, any Queen fans out there? No? Yeah. No? All right. Oh, okay. Well, there's All there's, right. there's there the song Fat Bottom Girls. I yeah. know that. Yeah, so I didn't want to say, uh, I didn't want to be pejorative in the name uh-huh. of a nib design, but I don't know. It just uh, it seemed clever to me at the time. Am I, uh, how old was I when this I came up with this? I guess 30, <laughs> 32, 30, something like that. 32-year-old mind. I was like, well, I, I'm not going to call a fat bottom girl, but I'll call a big bottom girl because, you know, not at the risk of being canceled. Who doesn't like a big bottom girl? <laughs> so um, that's why I named it after that. Basically, all it is is uh, – and and to be to be perfectly honest, it also is the big bottom grind depending on who I'm talking to. Um, so the big bottom grind, the big bottom girl is a uh, – generally like a kind of a cursive italic or something on the bottom and then you can flip it over and write with like a finer medium point so basically what you're doing is if you think of it again the prototypical joe abroad what what i'm doing is i'm basically making the bottom wide and then the top narrower oh i see that makes sense okay Mm -hmm. so so the bottom of it is a little like a big grind and then the top of it is a small smaller grind smaller mod how would anybody know know that if they just run onto your web page and they didn't even look listen to this they they would have no idea it is definitely a design flaw in the web page that you have (laughs) just highlighted so um but it's a good conversation starter so Mm. maybe it's worth keeping because it's like oh what's the big bottom girl i love queen you know Mm. some new business Mm. that way but no it uh you know i it uh (laughs) <laughs> so you raise a valid point. I'll talk to the the web designer uh, mm. later and see what they see what what their explanation is for that decision. No, I was just my saying. advanced apologies if you get calls for being fired from your own business. Well, no, 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 that's not you know what, what happens. Whenever someone says something that offends them, they get they try to get you, Tom. They try to get you fired. That's how it works. <laughs> yeah, this happens the, so many. Uh, Josh, this happens so many times where people write into have tom fired because of stuff that i say because i'll say stupid shit without even thinking <laughs> about it right like and yeah. then they'll write to kieran and sal at gold spot calling for tom to get fired it happened enough times <laughs> that we actually created our own stickers hashtag fire tom and if somebody includes hashtag fire tom in their order at gold spot we'll send them a pentertainment sticker so now a whole bunch of how many how many do you get Tom. Oh, it happens like every day that somebody su- submits an order with a comment hashtag fire right. Tom. I, I get hashtag hire Toms now, which is which is good, or or give Tom a raise or something like that, <laughs> or pay pay Roy. Another one I've seen recently is a hashtag pay Roy. <laughs> so what's really cool is people will say stuff like, "Yeah, you know, I just uh, had a new child, and it looks like Tom, the baby was born with a goatee." Hashtag fire Tom, you know, stuff like <laughs> nice. that. So yeah, it's actually, nice. we turned it into something funny that we really enjoy. It's actually a trending hashtag with gold spot and stuff like that. So, but Hey, listen, That's great. Josh, I mean, man, I hope. Yeah. Yeah. This has been a lot of fun. I'm sorry. You were going to say something. I want to hear what you had to say. You hope. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I guess, you know, either I'm going to get canceled or I will become the Howard Stern of, uh, nib grinding which you know god benefits somebody right so right right see what happens probably not gonna get canceled people are not that sensitive yeah yes about that let's hope 
Let's right. hope. I don't really want to be the Howard Stern of nib grinding either. <laughs> it seems like it might be difficult to exist like that. Right. So. Right. Let's let's, let's all aim for a non, non the opposite of whatever that would be. <laughs> yeah, non Howard. Yeah. Non Howard. Well, I what don't... is the non Howard? Is I don't even know. Like the, I don't know. I don't know. I Maybe don't someone can we, write that in. I don't think. I think somebody should write that in to Entertainment Podcast yeah. at Gmail and your thoughts on on this. If does Big Bottom Girl upset you? If so, please write to Sal and Karen over at Goldspot. Tom <laughs> fired. Yeah. To be clear, they have no control over what I do, but right. they would be the repository for right. all complaints. That's exactly it. <laughs> yeah. But, it's like all complaints can be directed here. Right, right. <laughs> it's funny. Sal was like, Sal, Sal was looking through the emails and he was like, why, why are all these people? He's like, what did Tom do to piss off so many people? <laughs> yeah, but hey, listen, Josh, thanks again for coming yeah. on the show. Very My pleasure. Story. This has been great. Yeah, this is yeah. so much fun. This is, I think you have the honor of having the longest episode to date. And as well, it sh- it should be it should right. be that like, yeah. I am great. So right. that's <laughs> I have I should have the best episode, the longest one. You know, I, yeah. I what I really deserve, frankly, is like a like a mini series. Do you guys do that? Like a mini series? Well, we like... we definitely do that when we recognize like guests who are super humble, and you definitely qualify. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, you know, I try to be. No one is as humble as I am. I'm just going to say that right now. I'm the well, most humble have, person. If we have anybody that wants to send uh, send in some questions about nib related yeah. issues or, or like tuning questions and things like that, then we would have a reason. So you know, that's that's up to you, dear listeners. Yes. Yes. So write in. As a matter of fact, I would love to hear your emails and read your emails over the air in regard to your questions about nib tuning. And we'd love to answer them, read them and answer them and whatnot. We'll do our best. We'll have to confer with JJ Lax over here in order for us to to I'm the only one with two initials. Like RK, JJ Lax, JJL, Tom is T W O. It's you know, it's really cool. Yeah. Thomas William Otto, yeah. J J Lax, RK. It's J Joseph. My middle name is Joseph. Josh Joseph Lax. That's the bit. Joshua. Joshua Joseph. If I had a middle so. initial, I'd want it to be O, so that way I could say I'm the Rock. Yeah. Rock, right. That would, that would be cool, but I'm not. I think yeah. I think Jay Z has that one uh, trademark though. R O K. Yeah. Really, Jay Z has that. I thought The Rock has The Rock. If you smell, the Rock. Is good. What, no. what was that? That was that's The Rock. The Rock. D- Dwayne Johnson. The Rock. Oh you, yeah, yeah. You yeah, can't yeah, not know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking. I know. I know. Yeah. What right. yeah, smell the Rock is right. cooking? Right. But is The Rock O R O C? No, it's R O C. I don't know. I missed the R O C K. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I missed the credits and uh, I was I was too busy paying attention in uh, Jungle Cruise. I didn't pay attention to how he spelled his name in the credits. So, you uh, know, did you see? Uh, did you see the new Batman? No, I gotta go. Oh, the uh, it's supposedly phenomenal, right? No, 
No, <laughs> no, it's not. No, because no, they didn't cast the rock. I haven't seen it yet either. So slow. Listen, Robert Pattinson does a fantastic job playing Batman. Fantastic, amazing. Zoe Kravitz, her name Zoe Kravitz, the girl who plays yeah. Selena Kyle, Catwoman, is such yeah. a smoking hot version of Catwoman. I think she's so hot. I, you know, my favorite Catwoman was Anne Hathaway because she, I could stare at her all day long without blinking it's worth like sandpaper eyeballs but zoe kravitz was so phenomenal in it she was more neutral of a character and has more like character i guess it's not as one-sided she's very a complex character very sexy loved it but it was just the slowest movie it kramer versus kramer versus kramer the movie kramer versus kramer has more action and fight scenes than the Batman. Wow. I'm just gonna say that, okay? Like, fuck. Wow, that that's a big statement. <laughs> yeah. Kramer versus Kramer. Wow. How many of you guys listening know what I'm talking about when I say Kramer versus Kramer? <laughs> I mean, this is a fountain pen thing. I feel like right. That's true. You have you have a good you have a good number of people like, oh yes, Kramer versus Kramer is an excellent 1973 look at the demise of a couple's marriage <laughs> and how their children was placed in between. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can anybody remember? Anybody remember the theme? I think we're giving ourselves away that we basically spent all afternoon buying up broad nibbed English Parker fifty ones and watching Kramer versus Kramer before we went. Do you know? Do you know what the most terrifying moment of Kramer versus Kramer for me was? We're about to find out. Okay, it wasn't the scene when the kid falls off like the monkey bars and smashes his head into the ground. It wasn't that. It was the moment when Dustin Hoffman's like, don't you take a bite of that ice cream. You take one bite of that ice cream. Don't you dare. Don't you. And then he licks the ice cream, and then he the kid, he gets mad, and he grabs the kid and throws him in bed. And that was terrifying for me. I, I mean, it's why. definitely an upsetting movie. Yeah, I mean, you know. Yeah. But, uh this episode is ending in a weird place, right? <laughs> yeah, we got to do something, right? I just was thinking, like, where people are going to be listening to this? Are like, what is happening here? <laughs> what, so, just, uh, what just happened? All right, no, well, this let's is, bring it back around. Right, this is what happens to every episode of the podcast. It just usually happens within the first ten minutes and lasts the, the entire hour. But we stuck to fountain yeah. pens and nibs because we have you on and stuff like that. And I don't want to waste the opportunity of you know talking about so much fountain pen knowledge with someone who's an expert at nib grinding, but we do have to squeeze in a little bit of movie talk in there. Which All is, right. Which is fair enough. Did. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. But I got back from Puerto Rico. It was really good. I watched the Batman, which I was very disappointed with because it was very, very, very slow, super crazy slow. It was, it was, I can't believe how good Robert Pattinson is in that movie. I can't believe how good Zoe Kravitz – like, all the actors were really good. It's just really slow, and, like, all the ingredients were good. It's like, take your favorite slice of pizza, your favorite cut of steak, your favorite flavor of ice cream, your favorite gummy bears. Put it all into one blender and then blend it all up and then slowly drink it. That's what this movie was to me. I hope that doesn't upset anybody, and if it does – Sal and Karen at Gold Spot is willing to take your emails. <laughs> the fact that you put gummy bears in with ice cream really upsets me. That's gross. Right. So, Josh, once again, before we sign off, thank you so much for being on the episode. We My pleasure, gents. I, I love coming on here. 
uh, part three of the Josh Lack story. Look out for it later this year. Yes. Um, <laughs> Dennis Villeneuve is waiting to write that, but it'll it'll be dropping soon. Right. Yeah. E- excellent. We're definitely gonna have you back on again, and we'll talk about other stuff too. Maybe we'll talk about how terrible the Batman was after you see it Ooh. and whatnot. Tom, yeah. did you see? Did you see No No Way Home yet? Spider Man No Way Home. No, I haven't. What the fuck are you waiting for, man? Come on. Anyway. I I'm waiting for it to appear on Disney Plus. Is what I'm waiting for. All righty. But apparently Just they're not putting it on there. Stop so. being cheap. Just go to the movies. It's a nice out. Anyway, <laughs> once again, Josh Lax, we love you. Thank you very much for being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks, Josh. Love you yeah. both. Great, great conversation yeah. tonight. Thanks. Same here. And everybody else, thanks again for listening. Love you guys. Be well. Be safe. Stay inky. Okay.